or what you should have is a handout. If you don't have one and need one, anybody not have one that wants one? Alright. If you scorn paper and you want an electronic copy and you have access, then if you go to our website, I'm told by the Deacon of Website serving us all the way from India, that if you go to www.cbcws.org slash notes.pdf that slash notes.pdf you can download it on your device right now. So website slash notes.pdf and you'll get it. So why do you have a 10 page handout? Um, I struggled like crazy trying to figure out how in the world we were going to look at the different texts we were going to look at and you were going to be able to try to take notes and also look these things up and we're going to be able to do this in the three hours I hope we can get through it. Okay. Um, but in all seriousness I wanted to try to make it as quick as possible. So if you are a learner who likes to just listen and take it in, then you can put that down, put it in your Bible. I'm not going to reference any scripture, or I don't plan on references any scripture that's not on that handout. So you've got all the scripture references, you can just relax and listen. If you like to take notes, I think I'm going to follow uh, through the sermon pretty closely down through there so you can go right down through and take notes. So hopefully that has made it um, easier for you. This is a little bit different of a sermon. This is different how we go about it. We, we typically preach what's called expositional sermons. So that is, we take a text and walk down through it. This is more of what we would call a topical sermon. We're looking at a certain topic um, and, uh, and, and looking across Scripture. So it's, it's, a, it's a tougher um, one to get our handle on. Let me explain to you what we're looking at by reading for you. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter 1, or if you look at that handout, <laughs> it's the first text there for you. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to make a couple of comments as we do it. Hopefully by the time we finish, you'll understand what we're up to, and then we're going to pray. Let me read for us. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the argument is, Jesus Christ is more superior than angels. And now he's going to argue. For to which of the angels does God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Every one of these you see in quotes is a reference to another scripture. Most all of them come from the Psalter, save two. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says... Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, um, of, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And 
You, Lord, laid the foundation of the, law of the earth and beginning in the heavens or the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You'll roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. Again, argument back. Into which of the angels, comparison again, has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Verse 14, here we go. And they, or say, are they, that's the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Are they, that's the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who to inherit salvation. So last week we looked at the very opening of, or last time we were in Hebrews, we looked at the very opening of Hebrews chapter 1. The next time we're going to go all the way back through it. Or we're going to take especially verses 4 all the way through 14. But that whole area depends on an understanding of what the angels are. Because the argument is this. Jesus Christ is better than the angels. So if I walked up to you and said, I think you're smarter than George. Well, you're not going to be sure if that's a compliment or a put down unless we clarify who what? Who George is, right? So if nothing else, the, the, ser the sermon is to tell you who is George, right? So the point of the sermon is, who are these angels? What are they? Why does it make sense for the author of Hebrews to say that Jesus is better than the angels? So you walk out of here, I hope you're ready for the next time you come back in here and can understand that sermon. So, title of the sermon today, An Army Among Us. And we're going to look at a brief, I know it doesn't look brief, your handout's 10 pages, but a brief biblical overview of angels. And it is really, really brief. The stuff left out is... it's feels wrong. But let's go to the Lord and let's ask for a lot of help. Father, it doesn't make sense that we know a thing about You. There's not an intellect in this room that's anywhere close to being able to figure out one true thing about You on our own. We cannot understand You. But you have revealed yourself. You have been kind to show us stuff about you. We can't make up what we want you to be like. We can look at your word and find out how you have revealed yourself. And one of the ways you've been so kind is to use angels to do that. But Father, because of pop culture, because of misnomers in the church, many of us are confused, myself included, on exactly what are angels. So I pray this morning, by looking at Your Word together, we would see the incredible privilege we have as those who are to inherit salvation, that these ministering spirits are among us. I pray that it would warn us, it would humble us, it would encourage us, and we would learn together. We can't do this on our own. We couldn't be here if it wasn't for the cross. And so we ask these things to You, Father, through the name of Jesus Christ, Your Son, to now be applied by Your Spirit. Amen. Alright, well, 
the idea of angels is accepted across every major religion, um, especially all those uh, that are monotheistic. And I would actually imagine that the notion of angelic beings probably enjoys broader support than even the idea that God exists. We are captivated by the idea of these things we cannot see who have powers that we do not have. Yet, as Christians, we have to submit ourselves to what we know about angels to what the Bible teaches about angels. So first, let's ask the obvious question, do angels exist? The presence of angels was denied heavily in modern times as rationalism moved through, especially in the 1800s and the early 1900s, as they wanted to avoid the idea of anything that they could not see or hear. And then it also uh, was downplayed because in Protestantism, coming out of Roman Catholicism that venerated angels and worshipped angels. But you know what? The presence of angels was denied a lot earlier than that. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 23, the Sadducees who didn't believe in angels or the resurrection, and you know that's why they're so Sadducee, they also denied the presence of angels. Yet the Scriptures clearly affirm that angels exist. Across the pages of Scripture, there are over 275 references to angels. Across the Old Testament, the most common term translated in English for angel is the Hebrew word malach and the Greek word angelos. Sounds a lot like Los Angeles. It's a different language, but still. There are... There are other terms for angels across the uh, scriptures. You get cherubim, you get seraphim, you also get, like we see in Hebrews chapter 1, ministering spirits. So for those who believe in the Bible, there, there is no denying the presence of angels as they show up everywhere. And they certainly show up in every major event in human history in the pages of scripture except for one event. And we'll discuss that in a bit. Jesus himself talks about angels often. And he assumes that we recognize that they are real and that they are important. So next question. What are angels? Well, first of all, angels are created beings. In Colossians chapter 1, which actually was referenced in the last sermon on Hebrews, in verse 14, it says that Jesus created all things both visible and invisible. And of the invisible things, it goes on to say, these include thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Well, those thrones, those dominions, and rulers, and authorities that are all invisible, those are angels. And across the Psalms, such as in Psalm 148, we see it affirmed that God created these angelic beings. When God created humans, He created us, male and female, with the idea that we would procreate and go have children. Human children. That wasn't the curse, by the way, um, just in case uh, you're wondering. So, uh, while we believe all humans are created in the image of God, 
We know that Adam and Eve are special because they're the only humans that were not born of a mother. Jesus, Jesus teaches us in the scriptures that angels, unlike humans, cannot procreate. They do not have little angels. We see this in Jesus' teaching. When the Sadducees arguing with him about the resurrection, Jesus actually uses an argument back and explains that in the, in the new kingdom, that we will be like angels in that we will not marry. And since there is no such thing as procreation outside of marriage in the Bible that is not sinful, and then we can deduct that all heavenly angels are not born, but every single angel was brought about ex nihilio, that is, out of nothing. God spoke it into being. A major part of being a human is to have an, an ensouled body. That is, we have bodies with spirits. Angels do not have bodies. Instead, they only have spirits. So humans have spirits and bodies. Angels only have spirits. Animals only have bodies. What that means for Fido in the afterlife, well, you can deduct it. Anyway, um, he said, no, wait a second. That, that doesn't seem right. It seems to me like angels do have bodies because I seem to remember a couple places in Scripture, Tim, where they show up with bodies. Like in Genesis 18, when the, the two angels visited Abraham and they ate, didn't they have bodies? And if they didn't have it there, certainly those two angels who walked into Sodom in Genesis 19 and were so good looking that the men of the town lusted over them and wanted to know them in some unholy ways, surely they had bodies. In fact, it seems that it was their bodies that got them in trouble. Well, they, they were manifested in in, in bo with bodies, but their spirits were not bound to those bodies. So there are times when an angel can take on a body, but it is not his body. This is a trait only enjoyed by humans. We're the only creatures who have bodies uh, and souls. As Jesus explains in Luke 20, while humans can die, causing a temporary separation of our souls and our uh, bodies, angels never die. Angels never die. Multiple places in Scripture, it informs us that angels are wiser and stronger than humans. Okay? Well, they're so wise that they just never sin. That seems to be the ultimate status of wisdom. Some of them are. Most of them are. That is, most of the angels are holy as they are allowed full access to the presence of God. But they are moral creatures, which means they can choose good or evil. And while some of them are referred to as elect angels, such as in 1 Timothy chapter 5, some of them have fallen from a glorious, holy state. Some of the most prominent fallen angels show up early on in the Scriptures. They show up in Genesis chapter 6. We see there that the sons of God, those are angels, looked down at the daughters of men, found them to be nice looking, and so they fell over their lust of the daughters of men. In fact, the fallen angels, these fallen angels are destined to judgment in hell 
as Jesus states in Matthew 25. And they are led by a fallen angel named Lucifer. The fall of Lucifer is recorded in Exodus 28 and Isaiah 14. Now I put the relevant text for you on your note-taking guide that, but I will tell you those are tough texts. Please feel free to ask more questions later as you look through those. Here Lucifer is described as exceptionally beautiful in appearance. At one time he was full of amazing wisdom. But it was actually his greatness that was his downfall. The story of the fall of Satan is probably the ultimate example of Jesus' words when he says, the first shall be last. In Isaiah 14, it is said that Satan, like the pagan king about which that whole chapter was written, fell from his place of grandeur. Why? Because he himself wanted to be like God. In Revelation 12, we are told that when Satan fell, one-third of all of the angels fell with him. These fallen angels are referred to throughout Scripture as demons, and they are seen most active and most visible in the ministry of Jesus. Some of the angels have already been bound because of their wickedness. This is explained in Jude chapter 6 and in 2 Peter chapter 2. Most of the demons, though, are presently free to roam about at the direction of Satan. We pause. Everybody in this room can relate to fallen angels because everyone in this room is a fallen human. That is, every one of us, every one of us, has broken the perfect law of God. And we've tried to sit ourselves on the throne reserved for God Himself. Yet by the amazing mercy and grace of God, there is redemption for fallen humans. By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, on the cross, we can be redeemed from our sins. Folks, let us not take this for granted. If you're here this morning and you haven't sworn allegiance to Jesus is Lord, the Bible says whether you realize it or not, you are living under the sway of the prince of this world, Satan. Friend, you can be redeemed by trusting in Christ and following His Lordship and rule. I say don't take that for granted. Because it is a special privilege that God has bestowed on humans and that has never and will never be bestowed on any angel. Every angel who has fallen is permanently lost without hope of ever being redeemed. Every human will spend eternity surrounded by angels. We will either spend eternity surrounded by angels who have lived in full submission and obedience to God in paradise, or God forbid, we will spend eternity surrounded by evil, wicked demons in the lake of fire. 
I know this feels like science fiction. It's way beyond what we can see and hear or touch. But you know, I know, there are things in this world more than we can see, hear, or touch. We all know that. We know it when we lay our head on our pillow. There's something more here. The Bible affirms that force all over the place. It explains that angels are all around us, some good and some wicked. Paul affirms it in Ephesians 6 when he says, we don't struggle against flesh and blood. True, we struggle with flesh, and yeah, battles with blood, that can kill us. But his point is that actually is minor compared to what is out there. For out there, beyond what our eyes can see and what our ears can hear, beyond the flesh and the blood, there is a cosmic struggle against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and, spe and special forces in heavenly places. That is, there is a struggle even among the angels. So let us leave here reminded that there is so much to this world that we, don't, we cannot see or touch. So much to this present world, not to mention the future. My modern friends, with all of our conveniences, by the grace of God, would we be humbled and would we be aware So what did these angels do? Well, far above every other task, their primary duty is to serve and to worship God. Angels worship God continually. We can see that in Revelation chapter 6. It says they never tire of saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When Isaiah was allowed just a peek into heaven, he saw the seraphim in Isaiah, and he, and he says over and over, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. Interesting, in Job chapter 38, we are told that as God was creating the world, so as He's creating us, the angels are singing with joy at how wonderful it is. Did you know, in fact, there's nowhere else in all of Scripture where the angels sing, save Job 38, except for the second coming of Jesus Christ? It's recorded in Revelation chapter 5. John says he looked in his vision of the future and he saw and heard thousands upon thousands singing. So just think about that. Before creation, the angels, and before we are created, the angels are singing and they say, that is beautiful. They're singing of the joy and how wonderful it is. We hear no singing until Revelation chapter 5 at the second coming. They will not sing again until the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, with His bruised heel, crushes the head of the serpent 
Satan and stands in complete victory over sin. And then, my friends, the angels who have been saying in thousands of years will rise and sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom. I know you're trying to figure out how Hark the Herald Angels sing. It's in the middle of that. Well, it doesn't, but you can deal with that later. All right, so the angels worship, and they also serve God, and they follow His commands. So we've seen that in Psalm 103. But one of the primary ways they serve God is referenced in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. By serving and ministering to the people of God. Let us never forget the amazing grace that God would allow us to know things about Him by revealing Himself. He does not owe us that. He doesn't owe us a revelation at all. And yet one of the main ways throughout Scripture that God reveals His will, His ways, His character, things, he, things about man, His plans, etc., is He does it through the angels. They tell us the things about God. This is a major ministry of the angels. Here are some examples. In Genesis chapter 24, the angels are used to help uh, reveal Rebecca as the proper spouse, proper wife for Isaac. In Numbers 20 and in Exodus 23, we see that God used angels to guide the people out of Egypt and to warn them to obey. When God was ready to reveal His perfect holy law, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, He used angels to do this. It's affirmed in Hebrews 2 and also affirmed in Acts chapter 7. So God uses angels to show us the very character of God, to reveal to us the perfection He expects. And while God reveals His perfect law, we see that the very disobedient will of man. The very nation that God used His angels to build was destroyed by man's rebellion. Eventually, God's people face the consequence of their sin and they're taken to a foreign land and they're exiled to Babylon. There, Daniel, as recorded in chapter 9, prays that God would be merciful and He would restore His people. And how does God answer His prayer? By sending the angel Gabriel to tell him that God is loving and gracious and He will act. He reveals to Daniel He will redeem the people. And God fulfills that promise. And the people are able to go from Babylon back down into Jerusalem. This is, this is the very end of the Old Testament. And then something very interesting happens. Somewhere around the year 420 A.D., there begins an amazing, disturbing silence from heaven. God has been consistently revealing Himself. First, uh, from the very first moment He spoke to Abraham, He uses prophets and angels in various ways to reveal Himself to the people. But after the books of Malachi and Nehemiah, heaven grows eerily silent. And the question as you turn from the Old Testament to the New Testament is, has God forgotten His promises? 
And when God was ready to break that silence, how did He do it? You got it. He sent what? He, he, he sent His Son, and to announce it, He sent angels. Luke chapter 1 uh, through 2, God records how God first broke the silence to a dumbfounded Zechariah. And if ever you're allowed to call somebody dumbfounded, it would be Zechariah in that situation. He uses his angels to tell a young bride-to-be named Mary about what's coming, and he uses his angels to tell a few shepherds who ended up looking for some clean clothes uh, after they soiled theirs uh, from the display of the angels they saw. To each, God was revealing that he was sending his son in human flesh. He used the angels. About 30 years later, some followers of God experienced another very profound silence. It was a heartbreaking silence. It was a silence of dashed hopes. As, on that, Sunday, as that Sunday morning came, they were hopeless. For on the Friday before, they watched Jesus, the one they just knew would save God's people Ultimately, they watched Him be executed on a cross. They woke up hopeless, going to a tomb to attend to this dead body. And who does God use to bring the news that they will not find a dead body because He has risen? He uses angels. Matthew 28 records this for us. He records how God told the women at the tomb that God had raised Jesus from the dead God kindly, consistently ministers through revealing Himself through the angels. But He doesn't just use the angels to give us knowledge. He uses them to give us guidance, to protect us, to provide for us, to keep us from harm. And there are some of the neatest stories across the Old Testament of that. In 2 Kings chapter 6, I love this story. The king of Syria, he sent an army to fetch this old troubling, pestering prophet named Elisha. Surely an army would be enough for one man, right? Well, it would if you only had to go contend with one man. Elijah's servant walks out one morning and he sees this huge Syrian army. And he queries his master, Elijah, and he says, what are we going to do? Right? And Elijah responds, well, let's, let's look at it together. Verse 17, Elijah uh, says, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. This is verse 17 of 2 Kings 6. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God, open his eyes that he can see what I see. There are angels all around us. When the people were in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar chucked three of the faithful Israelites into the furnace, he woke up to find how many there? Four men walking in the midst of the fire as God had sent an angel to protect him. And a few years later, when uh, Darius throws Daniel into the uh, a den of hungry lions, God uses what? An angel to close the mouth of the lions. 
God used angels all throughout the life of Jesus in profound ways to provide for the second person of the Trinity. It was an angel that warned Joseph that Herod was trying to kill him and that he needed to take him down to Egypt. After 40 heinous days in the wilderness facing the temptation of Satan, Matthew 4.11 tells us, love this verse, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Angels gave our Lord strength as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking that God would remove this horrific cup from him. And Jesus explained that he had power, unlike any other human, to order angels. All he had to do was ask the Father, and the Father would send a legion of angels to rescue him. The protection of the angels extended all the way to the early church. We see God use angels in Acts chapter 5 to open the prison doors so the imprisoned apostles could walk out. In one of Asher's favorite stories in Acts chapter 12, it's an almost humorous story, and an angel is leading a sleepy Peter who's been in prison, out of prison, out of the chains, right past the guards who are sleeping. Angel gets him up... Peter thinks he's still asleep. He has no idea what's happening. Finally, the angel has to turn to Peter and say, Wake up! Right? Oh, this is happening. Right? And then they go all the way to the door of the group of believers gathered to do what? Pray for Peter's protection. The girl opens the door and Peter's there. And what's their response? Hey, that kid slammed the door in his face. That can't be Peter. He's in prison. God used angels to protect His Son and His people. Angels stand present at almost every major moment in human history. But there is one moment where the angels are glaringly absent. It's the cross. They're there the night before, and they're there to announce the resurrection days later. But they are nowhere to be seen at the cross. Why? God intentionally ordered them away and Jesus in His obedience refused to call on them. You have to wonder if this was not part of the Lord's cry on the cross when He said, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Jesus was ever aware of spiritual forces. Demons could not hide from Him. They would try to mount a lot of them into one person. They would try pigs. They could not hide from Him. He knew all the time where demons and angels were. And yet I believe Jesus looked out on the cross and He saw hating men. He saw hurting followers. And He saw a slew of very pleased demons. And yet the holy angels, He had seen accompany Him throughout His ministry were nowhere to be seen. Our Lord was forsaken and He was alone. Friends, there is a word for a place full of demons, void of God's love, and void of the presence of His holy angels. That is hell. The Gospel says the horror Jesus faced when He looked out on that cross 
is the horror that every one of us deserves to face for eternity. I deserve to be abandoned by God. I deserve to be left alone with demons. I deserve to be without anyone of the holy angels to rescue me. But because of what the sinless Lamb of God did 2,000 years ago, I will never know that fear and that pain. If you are here, if you have not repented of your sins, turn to Jesus as Lord. I urge you, repent while there is still time. While there are still holy angels around us to protect us, to offer unto us the Lamb of God. That offer still stands. God has made a way for humans to be redeemed. Something He's never done for the angels. Look upon Jesus as your treasure and your hope and you will never, ever, ever face a day outside of the protection of God and His holy angels. That is an urgent plea. As you travel across the Old Testament and you look at the ministry of an angels of the angels there is one very special angel that sticks out he goes by the title angel of the lord whoever he is all you have to do is look at the assignments given to this angel and you know there's something special about that angel <laughs> he must be special while while he is the one who spares isaac from the sacrificing blow of Abraham's knife. Go back. Look, it's the angel of the Lord. He is the one who called to Moses from a burning bush in Exodus 3 and gives him the very name of God. He is the one who led the people out of Egypt. He is the one who led the army of the Lord in Joshua 5 to fight the Israelites. He is the one to whom Joshua bowed down and was allowed to worship. Recall how after defeating a thousand prophets of Baal, you probably remember this, Elijah realizes, Elijah goes and defeats a thousand prophets of Baal, then he realizes that one woman is after his hide, and what does he do? He runs scared for his life. We call that wisdom. Um, it, he is scared. He thinks that he is done for. And in the mercy of God, God feeds him. He's not even... He doesn't even have enough hope to eat. And who feeds him? The angel of the Lord. And when the king of Assyria... Remember, Assyria just ran right through Israel. And they come down to the, southern tri to the southern two tribes of Judah, the nation of Judah. There is no reason that Assyria didn't knock them off the, the globe. There is just no reason... So remember, there's that scene where Hezekiah is the king of Judah at the time. He's, he's, the, he's there in the city, and the uh, king of Assyria is saying, Buddy, just let us in. This is crazy. Right? Hezekiah doesn't know what to do. And who shows up? It's, an, it's the angel of the Lord, and in an instant, he doesn't just win the battle. He ends an empire. It is that instance when the Assyrian Empire falls apart. Listen to 2 Kings 19. Beautiful language. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return and he shall not come into this city, declares Yahweh the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it. Interesting. I will defend this city to save it. For my own sake, for the sake of my servant David. And that night, who shows up? The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all the dead bodies. It was the angel of the Lord who gave visions to Zechariah and who gave clean garments in exchange for the soiled garments of Joshua the priest. That amazing passage in Zechariah. Interestingly, this amazing figure seen all the way from Genesis, it starts in, uh, I think, uh, 16, chapter 16 with Hagar, seen from Genesis 16 all the way through Zechariah. He doesn't show up in the New Testament. Much of the church fathers and reformers agree that this special title, Angel of the Lord, was reserved for the second person of the Trinity prior to His incarnation. I agree. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. This explains why Jesus takes on, when Jesus takes on human flesh, we do not see the angel of the Lord again. So lest we think that Jesus made His first appearance in human history in the New Testament, let us see that the leader of the angels, the angel of the Lord, was carefully involved in creation, carefully involved in the covenants, obviously involved in the cross, and will be the leader of the culmination of the kingdom. There's a lot more to consider about how Jesus compares to the angels, but that will be the next sermon in Hebrews chapter 1. As we close, I hope you leave amazed by all that we can know of angels. All, I've only given a, just a glimpse, I mean a small glimpse of what that is. And yet while we can know so much about angels, I would also warn us, let's be content to only know what the Scriptures tell us. Let me say that again. We can know a lot about angels. But would we be wise enough to stay in our place and be content with only what Scripture tells us? It's without question that Scripture teaches that angels are heavily involved in our daily lives. But we disrespect the Scriptures when we claim to know details of how that looks. I'll give you quick two examples. Here's a world of difference between claiming that we have good reasons to believe that angels are among us right now. That makes good sense given the Scriptures. Certainly they want to be where a bunch of believers are gathered. There's a world of difference between claiming that and claiming that we can hear them, feel them, or sense them. Two very different claims. One respects Scripture and one goes outside of it. There's a world of difference between claiming it might have been an angel that kept my car from veering off the road. 
That makes good sense given what we've seen about the angels and how he wants to work for the people of God. That makes very good sense. Yeah. But do you realize that's a world of difference between claiming certainly it was an angel? The word might there offers us the appropriate place of humility. We have to be careful to let Scripture stand for the amazing claims it already wants to make about Scripture and respect our place. So with that, with that warning said, I hope you leave encouraged. Hebrews chapter 1.14 says that, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? What a promise! The angels are sent out to serve for us who are to inherit salvation. God has been so incredibly kind to allow the angels to serve us, the church. We must be careful not to, to worship them. That would be the very opposite of what they're sent for. But let us be encouraged to live. Like there's much, much more than my eyes can see, than my ears can hear, or my hands can feel. God is at work among us right now through the ministry of His perfect angels. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us as we'll close.